0: Welcome to the Petcash Pod. I'm your host, Andrew Petcash. This is the fourth episode of my series where I interview founders, investors, athletes, and the smartest people in sports. Today's guest is Roy Damon. He's a co-founder at StrikeCo. They're a sports tech company based in Israel and recently raised $2.2 million to bring their AI-infused sports product to life. We cover an array of interesting topics, including why Israel is a leading country for sports tech, if esports could one day surpass the popularity of physical sports, how artificial intelligence is impacting athletics, and the insane popularity of athletes like Lionel Messi and their influence on business. I took a lot away from this conversation and think you'll enjoy it as much as I did. Let's dive in. It's always great to have people that have been founders, investors from all over the world building in sports. Can you just give us a little bit of your background, who you are, and what you're currently up to?
1: First of all, thanks for having me, Andrew. This is a real uh, pleasure for me. I really like your uh, podcast and your newsletter and all the content that you are generating. Appreciate it. So, yeah. So, uh, I come from a kind of diverse background. Uh, I started in finance, um, where I was, for many years, for 10 years, I was in the leading investment company in Israel, Institutional Investment. And and being there really got me, you know, I honed my skills in management and business development. But my real passion was always uh, technology. And three and a half years ago, I... uh, jumped on the opportunity, and I opened up my own uh, boutique investment banking firm. Um, and it was an amazing ride through the COVID-19 and everything, it was really interesting. And to, to make it the, the, the dream even better, uh, I had the opportunity to join as a co-founder uh, to Strico, uh, where I am leading the business development You
0: being in Israel, a hotbed for sports technology, what have you seen in that space? And why is Israel such a hot place for some of the the biggest and just top sports technology companies in the world? Very good question. So
1: there are two very, I would say, massive reasons in Israel that are like being so strong in tech in general and sports tech in in um, specific so um the first one is the military like once you know we are we, we are not switzerland so we need a, a very good army and a very good i would say uh, skill sets and technology to defend ourselves um and the military here is compulsory so every 18 year old Guy goes to the army for three years and every girl goes to the army for like two years. And a lot of them are combat. Me and my entire team of co-founders were all like combat uh, soldiers. So um, you have those special units in the army that really nurtures the the entire um, community of young people. And with a real, real like uh, focus on computer vision, from obvious reasons, you know satellites, and we need to recon and to understand where are like enemy places and gatherings and, and etc. So computer vision is super strong because of the military, and those translated when with the entrepreneurship, you know, um, I would say, yep. ambience that we have in Israel. Uh, that everything can work and uh, we get, you know, shit done. So those two powers combined, entrepreneurship and military special units, combined together, you get a lot of um, really interesting and cool companies, Uh, especially also in the the sports tech, you have, you know, great companies. I'm not going to name all of them, but you have like, you know, Four or no, five of them are amazing. No
0: free, no free marketing from uh, Roy today for the news. No, companies. I can.
1: know it's, it's okay. Pixelot and you know Blazepod and WSC and Minute Media and you have like a lot of
0: them. And where do you see it going, kind of from here? Because these a lot of those companies you just mentioned, they're early 2000s, kind of at the start of the internet and technology. But we're now hitting this new phase where you talk about Web 3. You talk about artificial intelligence you talk about even the merging of it with what you're doing at strike where do you see israel and just sports tech in general going over the next five to ten years
1: so i think it will be in the ai influence on sports especially the whole performance analysis and the personalized training i think those two with injury prevention i think those like two and the injury prevention one will be like the hotspot for israeli startups
0: yeah and artificial intelligence i don't know how much you want to go into what you're building at strike co but it's a huge piece of it and you did raise correct me if i'm wrong you raised a 2.5 million dollar pre-seed seed round earlier in the year so while you are in stealth you have you know you're kind of public as well so i just if you are able to, I'd love just to hear a little bit more about how you're infusing artificial intelligence into what you're building.
1: So, uh, yeah, we raised a $2.2 million price pre-seed, all from Private Angels. Um, and we are focusing on the, I think, the, the two first things that we, I said earlier, the performance analysis and the personalized, personalized training. And we do it in a very, I would say, innovative technique. And as you said, I, I can't really go really into like details and stuff like that. But uh, <clears throat> I think that it it's going to be a evolution in how people engage, practice the sports.
0: We're seeing a lot of, especially on the software side, a lot of technology in the I call it the coaching sphere. So whether it's software and it's like, Hey, it's using AI here, here's how to do this. It's, it's almost virtual coaching. Where do you see that space going and why has it evolved so much as of late?
1: I have an analogy I have like in mind, I think it's the best one. You know, when you practice on dancing, you practice in front of the mirror um, to get the best uh, results. And it's all about you know skills and muscle memory, training and, and those kind of fields. And when you play sports, you don't see yourself. Like the best the best solution today is really to like you know put the camera like the iPhone or Android on the side. Film yourself, play, and you won't like play you know each, each strike and then go, and like look at yourself. You play and then you go to, to check it out. It's not, it, it's called real time, but it's not really real time. The recording is real time, but you can see yourself. You can't see yourself in real time. You need to go to the sides, etc. So my feelings and our team here, we believe that as dancing in front of a mirror to get better, faster, and the whole like repetition is much more efficient. There is a much better, faster, quicker, cost-effective way to train in sports and really you know unlock the athlete in you. Because a lot of people they churn in the process because it's too expensive to learn a new sport. A new sports, it's expensive to train uh, professionally. It's expensive, uh, as I said, it's time-consuming, you need partners, You need a, the weather needs to be right, like here in Israel, it's like nine months of a year, it's, it's sunny. But I'm guessing in the US, I'm not guessing, I know that in the US, you have places like seven months, you can't play outside. So there's a lot of barriers to enter the sport and play sport and, you know, keep in good health with sports and so I think we believe this is going to be the future.
0: I want to ask you kind of a I guess outlandish a little bit but futuristic type question because we see like you're mentioning sports and it's going way more digital where you know you're playing even e- we see esports the rise of esports. Do you think there could be a day in the future and I don't know I'm not going to put a time frame on it where Sports are honestly just played like on a VR or an AR set and sports are no longer even in person. They're just purely digital because we're building all these things to help assist that right now. Eventually, everyone's like, why are we risking injury or anything? Let's just play it. It gets so good. Could you ever see a point in the future where that happens?
1: I love that question because I I think about it a lot myself. Um, In my perspective... It won't be either like virtual, digital, or like physical in the real world. I think it will be th- the mix of it, like a hybrid thing. This is exactly what we are aiming and developing here at Striker. But it, it's going to be like a, a motivation for people to go outside and play sports. And we're not thinking that Technology needs to replace going outside and play. The social, um, positive, um, I don't know how to say it, but the positive, you know, the things that sports um, um, gives us in life are amazing and you can't really just pick, you know, the the physical one and um, leave the others. The social... Thing or the social, um, I would say, energy, I don't know how to say it, but the, the social aspect of it is so uh, critical. And part of the social impact of it is that you want to win the game. It's not just, you know, social, like let's hang out with friends. You come with an aim to win. And to win, you need to play better and to train harder. And by training traditionally in sports you can't get like you can't take shortcuts you need to walk the walk we think that the technology of the future and what we are aiming to develop here is making that not a shortcut but accelerating the process so you can feel more confident in sports faster cheaper and when you're good in something, you want to play it more and you want to participate more. So our entire like you know, mission is to drive people to play real sports.
0: Got gotcha. you. So I'm actually going to pull back one step then. Do you think, let's not say will the digital ever replace the real physical sports, but could trainers, coaches, could that be completely transformed digitally where players now – they essentially don't even need physical trainers or they don't even need physical coaches where almost everything is digital to help an athlete become the best in their sport.
1: That's a tough question. If you have a top pro coach, like tennis instructor, if you have like a very, very highly qualified, then keep with it. Like he, he or she must have like know so much, but the, the the problem is not it's with the consistency like it's it's very you know it's like a parab- parabola I don't know how to say parabola but, yeah yeah like you have those top like you know ten percent and the other ninety percent so if you are trying and if you convince yourself to start playing sports or get better at a sport that you participate and you are willing to invest the money the time whether kids everything like needs to be like like an alignment alignment of like stars so for you to go to play for an hour or two hours outside so if you are if you can't get to those 10 top 10 percent coaches instructors then i think we need a technology to give you access to those uh, instructions Tennis instruction, like, you know, level um, more accessible.
0: There is, and you even see it in athletes. There's like that one, 10% that's so elite that they can't be replaced. But then everything below that is average, you know, mediocre. And you even, you, there's still, you can still be a top talent in, say, the NBA or a top tennis player. But once you reach a certain level, it's almost all the same. You're just average or mediocre. And then you can apply it to coaching. That's when it could get transformed digitally but uh, I have to pull it back one step. You're a huge Argentine fan. They just won the World Cup. And you also, going back a little bit for for some of the old timers, Diego Maradona, I think I said his name correctly. He's a little past my time, but one of the greatest soccer players of all time. He's actually a family friend. So you just touch on a little bit your relationship with Diego Maradona and uh, Argentina winning the World Cup.
1: Yeah, so, um being son of uh, Argentinian parents. Both my parents are from uh, a city called Rosario, in uh, Argentina. And for Argentinian people, soccer uh, is everything. It started before Maradona and it continues after, as as we see it uh, in the last couple of days with what's going on in Buenos Aires and around the world. But I was born and raised with soccer, you know, in my hand. So imagine the surprise I had when at the age of six, entered my room, my personal room at my house in Jerusalem, entered uh, Diego Armando Maradona, where you know my whole room was like posters and everything, like news clips and everything like posted on the walls. And he entered and I was like, I couldn't speak. And my brother, was 11 11 at that time, entered the room and he saw him and he saw us and we couldn't speak. And I was so young that I didn't understand how he's on the wall and also, you know, (laughs) live here. So that that small I was, that young. But um, then he automatically, you know, like wanted to break the ice. He took the ball that we we had, the soccer ball that we had in the room. And he told us in, in Spanish, "Let's go outside and play." Vamos. So, vamos a jugar afuera. Yeah, exactly. So we went outside with Diego Armando Maldona, me and my brother and my father, and went to play soccer for an hour on our backyard. How did we got there? So funny story. But uh, Diego, he came to Israel. He visited Israel for the first time and he, he really wanted to visit the Christian uh, places, the holy places in Israel, um, from Jerusalem to Nazareth and all the places that are uh, very special for the Christian uh, um, no, Christians. And uh, he came, to, he landed and then he went to the hotel for the first hotel that he could uh, find He then played at Naples in Italy and he started like winning champions there. And he got to the hotel with the, you know, baseball like a hat. Nobody recognized him because, you know, prior to Instagram and Facebook Mm -hmm. and internet and everything, no one knew he was here. And he asked the guy in the reception uh, that he wants a room. And the guy in the reception, didn't speak Spanish because Diego only spoke Spanish and Italian. So uh, he said, I think there is someone here from accounting that knows Spanish. So he called my dad and my dad got out to the lobby, to the reception and my dad being a huge Argentinian soccer fan, he he went like completely white and he was like shocked because nobody understood this is Diego Amanda Maldonado in the lobby in Jerusalem, only him. So they went to his like battered car, my dad's battered car, like smash car, and went to Jerusalem for to the old city. And from that moment, they became friends. And we were, then he took him to our place. We went, we, we saw a television together. We saw games together. We did an asado, which is like the traditional barbecue from Argentina. So, amazing day and evening. And then he went back to Naples, went back to Israel with the team, with the Argentinian team, before the 1986 World Cup in Mexico. So, he came here just to, you know, visit again. And eventually, they won the World Cup. So, Diego was like very... uh, prestigious, I I don't know how to say it, but... Prestigious. Yeah, so uh, he figured out that he might come back again in the next World Cup and win again the World Cup. So he brought the entire team, the entire Argentinian team, before the 1990 World Cup in Italy. They came here again. And at that moment, they went to my father's, was a working in a hotel in another city in Israel, in Arcelia. And he came with his daughters, uh, Dalma and Janina. And I had the the fun experience of babysitting them for a couple of days, like almost a week, and being with the entire team uh, of Argentina. Then again in 1994, they came again. They reached the finals in the 1990 World Cup. And uh, they lost against Germany in the finals. So he said it, it was such... Like in 1986, we won the World Cup. 1990, we came again and we got to the finals. We will come again in 1994. And they come with everyone. And he, he wrote to my dad. So we came to the hotel. And I was sitting in the, at dinner, me and my brother, with Diego Armando Maradona, Gabriel Batistuta, Canija, Goicochea, the entire like famous everybody like you know eating together and yeah it was a, an amazing experience i have the photos i don't know if i showed you the photos yeah Gosh.
0: you did they're yeah. uh they're they're incredible um it's cool to look yeah. back and uh as we speak of of the growth of this someone like diego today he'd be a huge investor and like you said he'd be huge on social media just <laughs> like leonel messi is what yeah. kind of what are you seeing in that space and how I guess popular is someone like a Messi in Argentina and that they can use their platform to to help grow their own portfolio companies or can help endorse and grow companies through that. So that's a
1: great question. And I think it, it's a very good question. So um, in Argentina especially, soccer is like the number one topic, the number one passion Like it's, it's, it really crosses, you know, politics and, and demographics and socioeconomics and everything. So when you have something that important to the people in Argentina and you had the best player in the world, which is Diego Armando Maradona, and he was like equivalent to God uh, back then. Yeah. And he really got millions of Argentinians and I'm guessing tens of millions of, of you know, players around the world to start playing the sport. And coming from a very, very underprivileged minority in Argentina, like from the, think of like the worst, like poverty slums in, in Buenos Aires. He came from there playing with like a rugged, uh, you know, ball like a very um, that was like wasn't professional. So he came from that and became like the best player in the world. I think that was an amazing journey he had, but it was too, I would say, too um, um, was too much of an impact on Maradona there wasn't, you know, Google, there wasn't, like, social networks, there wasn't anything, and he couldn't handle for a long time the, the, the huge, like, popularity. Lionel Messi, you know, he, he, at the age of 13, he moved to, to Spain, and he also, he came from, like, you know, not a very, not a very rich uh, place in Argentina, in Rosario. And he was very, very little. They needed to inject him like hormones of growth so he would become bigger. So both cases are like, you know, the the underdog that came from anywhere, um, from nowhere, and rise to the top. And Messi, with social media and the globalization, he's impacting like a 100 times more than Maradona. And I think this week he really got to 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 the same level when i talked to my family and friends in argentina for the last couple of days if a week ago or a month ago before the world cup people would say Messi is not maradona he's like the son of god he's not god then now he's in the same level
0: that's incredible and and it's it's awesome to go into these things and it's fascinating as we kind of reach up into the 25 30 minute mark i always love to end the podcast on this question You can go as deep into it as you want, but based on your expertise and and what you're building, where do you see the sports market going in the next 12 months, and why?
1: So, I think the biggest, I would say, um, boom, booming market in technology in the past year, I think, like the biggest, like um, new player, is sports. Uh, We saw that, like in fitness, a couple of years ago. And we now see it in, in sports. Fitness is like ahead a couple of years in sports. And I honestly I learn a lot of like what's going on what's going to happen in sports next years from you. So <laughs> <For> uh, <sure. laughs> yeah, so I, I, I don't know I if
0: I if I didn't pay you to say that either too. No. So so I,
1: I don't really know the, the, the answer. I do know from my like personal experience, what brought me to Strico from the beginning was me, that I wanted to start a new, like learn a new sports in tennis, and my kid that wanted to start tennis, and it wasn't easy to start, and I witnessed it like firsthand, like the, the learning curve, the time consuming, the money, uh, you know, um, expenses and everything, and I just want to, to, you know, to, to play sports and me and my kid, he's nine. We have like different, uh, I would say um, things going on in life, but we have like similar barriers to, to start playing uh, sports. And I think to answer your question, it will be all about bringing more people to play the sport and. Expanding the participation, you know, rates base of people playing sports. That this is how I see it.
0: Heck of an analogy there, from, and I haven't heard that one, but it, it's so true. From this, sports is where fitness was a few years ago, when you see all saw all the whoops and the yeah the peloton and all that, and Swift, now yeah yeah now it's to sports. And funny enough, sports is like a sub segment or I would say fitness is a subsegment of sports, so it's funny to see that they actually happened in reverse order than from what you would think. But, uh, Roy, it's, it was great having this conversation with you. It's uh, Israel, fascinating spot in sports tech, and then uh, just the equipment and AI space, but but appreciate it, brother. Thank you very much.